Welcome to Ask the GM's Podcast, Episode 2, Warhammer Fantasy. This is a podcast about playing RPGs, playing tabletop games, and running a more effective game and RPG philosophies. This is Zach speaking right now. I've been playing RPGs for years and have a lot to say. Uh, this is Patrick Stevenson. I've been playing RPGs for quite some time, uh, playing a group with Zach quite a bit. We have fun times, talk a lot of crap, and uh, yeah. And, uh, Marcy, I'm a second generation DM for life, um, and I'm just glad to be here. <laughs> <laughs> How humble. Are you a DM ride or die? Right now I'm falling off the horse, but yeah. <laughs> This evening's topic is Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. I know we promised you pet peeves. Ian's not feeling well this week, so I'll have to miss it. But our pet peeves episode is coming. Okay, first, a little background. Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay was made by Games Workshop. You may know them from the tabletop game Warhammer 40k, Age of Sigmar, uh, Necromunda, More Time, plenty of popular products. In the 80s and 90s, they uh, imported a lot of the RPGs, so D&D, Call of Cthulhu. They were the ones that printed it in the UK. And eventually they're like, yo, instead of us just printing something, we're going to make our own RPG. They made Warhammer Fantasy, which is a D100 system closer to Call of Cthulhu, but still in the vein of, say, D&D in terms of fantasy. And uh, if I'm not mistaken, isn't it also the basis for... uh... The Warhammer Fantasy series. So Warhammer Fantasy, in terms of the war game, actually existed first, and you could actually take your character and put them on the tabletop and play them, and vice versa. There were rules for that in the original book. See, cool. So yeah, you could have a you could have like a a warrior priest, and then bring him to the tabletop and play him there too. And um. I guess as far as the history, if you are a player of Age of Sigmar, it does not have thing uh, things you would typically have in Age of Sigmar, like uh, Sigmarites, um, you know, all the newfangled stuff. This is this is the old fantasy, so you'll have, like Zach said, warrior priests, slayers, iron breakers, um, you know, all, just all the classics. Just I was just wanting to add that in there. Yeah, th- thank you, Pat. This is the stuff you'd see in either if you played the original Warhammer Fantasy Battle game, you would see those races, or if you play uh, Total War Warhammer, those races, Blood Bowl. It is not Age of Sigmar. There is an RPG for that, but this is not Age of Sigmar. Right. Shall we move on to the systems then? Yep. Uh, Pat, do you want to lead this? Um, yeah. Well, as far as systems go, it's not D20, it's D100. Um, and I don't know if I should say if it's typical of D100s, but you have an array of stats. You're Whenever you're rolling, you're trying to roll under that stat to be successful. And not only are you looking to be successful in your roll, um, this has a lot to do with success levels, which is every 10s place. So, for instance, my ballistic skill is a 45. I roll a 20. Then I have two success levels, which whenever we go into the system further and deeper into this episode, those do matter. Those will add damage. Um, It'll be your success levels versus their success levels for like um, counter rolls. 
And as far as the rest of the system, you know, you have your core stats that plug into your skills. So, you know, those plug directly. And um, an experience-based system. And these calculations, you know, say I have um, 50 experience points, then I can increase a base stat, so and so forth. So it's very intuitive there. And there's no levels, per se. You're just your character's growing and growing and growing as you go along. Um, RC or Zach, would you guys like to add anything to that? Uh, just that a success level is every tens level below what you needed to pass. So yeah. if you had a 40 and rolled a 10, that's three success levels. And this may be a bit later in the episode, but uh, there, the power creep that you would normally get in games where if you joined in as like a different level character don't really happen in this. The, the XP system is very balanced from what we saw. And unless there's a huge gap in between the characters, you could pop in with a character that's quite a bit under where people are and still still make a difference in the team. Yep, that definitely happened. All right, so what you need to play. So in terms of what you need to play, uh, there's one core book. So that's one purchase right there. has how to make a character, a deep dive into the history of the old world itself, some empire primers and then the mechanics how to roll dice how spells work and everything to the effect there's also character sheet you can use pen and paper but why not use a character sheet if one's provided for you and there's also the dm screen this is a very crunchy game the dm screen is mandatory Zach, don't you need friends to play too <laughs> i mean yeah that that would help <laughs> I will say the times that we the DM screen is so helpful for the players too. There's there's an entire section specifically about leveling that I I'm pretty sure everyone that's played in that campaign has had a picture of that one spot of the DM screen on their phone just yeah, to make how leveling work. Yeah, it got passed around quite a bit. It's it's not the DM screen; it's everybody's screen. <laughs> Well, it's the fact that the screen has that, so it's easy to share to the players. And then instead of opening the book every time, it just saves a lot of a lot of effort. The screen also has the different difficulty levels that checks can be set at. So as the game master, you can set certain levels where, like an average check, the player would get no modifier to their roll, but you can make it easier and give them like a plus twenty and make it more difficult and give them a minus forty. So you need to know all the flavors of that. Get easy's plus forty. Very hard's minus 30, and there's about four or five different variants in that range. It's actually something I don't like about the system. I think Call of Cthulhu covered that much better, where it's just normal roll, base chance, hard is half, and then extreme is fifth. And the odds of you getting asked to roll an extreme is so low anyway. Yeah, I don't think we've ever had any, even in the, the three months that I was in the game, and how long were you guys in it before I joined in? Uh, at least four more four months ahead of that. I don't. I don't think I ever see an oppor- sell an opportunity where we had to use an extreme success. I'm not sure if what you guys had to deal with during that time. Um, something I will say that kind of goes back towards the system is uh, whenever we were generating characters, you know, D hundred system. A lot of our initial stats were in the 30s and 40s range. And whenever you're on a D-Hundo, that's obviously, you know, 30, 40% chance of happening. So I feel the system wants you to, uh, I know on the screen, Zach, there was that if it's easy, you give them plus, you know, 40 to it. 
or if it's average, you know, you give them plus 20, so on and so forth. And I really feel from the GM's perspective, they want you to hand those things out pretty regularly. But to me, sometimes it got uh, frustrating in some situations where it's like, ah, mm, I feel like we should get plus 20 or something. And uh, I don't know. What, what was your thoughts on that, RC? Honestly, all the times that I that we ran into it when I, in the short amount of time that I was in the game, I, I felt like we got enough of them, to be honest with you. There were there were some moments when when we clearly outnumbered something, usually by the time the fight was beginning to finish off, most of the time we were massively outnumbered, where it felt like, hey, could we possibly get a little boost because two of us are wailing on the same guy? I, I specifically remember the Rat Ogre fight. Maybe we could have gotten it, but I think by the time that I walked in the room, he was already dead. <laughs> yeah. And I just think, like, you know, we're going to talk about Call of Cthulhu a lot because that's what we're playing recently. Is, you know, that kind of gets rid of that whole, oh, give them points for this or deduct points for the that. It's just they have their skill. Is this easy or, or is this normal, hard or extreme to do it versus, you know, forcing the GM to hand out points here and there to whatever discretion? You know, what, what, what do you think on that whole thing, Zach? So, like, a lot of the checks, like, in the campaign we were running were already set. And then often I, w- I would try to give you guys plus 10 if I could. But sometimes it's like, hey, you know, it just roll flat because there's no negatives or positives. Some of that's yeah. also on the player side. It's not a negative. It's just I think the game wants you to take onus to set up your own advantage. Yeah. I just thought it was just making it more clunky just to make it more clunky, less streamlined. Um, but that's my that was my take on it. There were definitely some moments it felt like the game was clunky just to be clunky, especially when it came to resolving uh, where you took damage, which I understand a lot, but sometimes it it was a pain in the butt to deal with. I mean, I mentioned it earlier. It's on the screen. It's on your sheet, and then you have to flip your sheet over, reverse the number of where you got hit, and that's where you got hit in the body or the head or the arm. Lots of flipping. I mean, at least they had the presence of mind to not make you have to roll again. You know, at least it was contained within one roll. Okay. All right. Moving on to setting. This is just a general setting primer. Uh, it's basically low, low magic, low fantasy. So not everyone's going to be a caster. In fact, most casters are hated and feared. And generally, it's very dirty. This is definitely Monty Python and the Holy Grail. If you're not a king or a noble, everyone has shit all over them. Death is likely in the system, meaning like if you if you mess up, you might just die. And there were a couple moments where it got really close to that for a couple of characters not that long ago. I recall an explosion really messed some people up. Yep. Um more on the setting, I whenever I first came to it, it I guess heavy germanic influence like old 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 english old like dark ages stuff um it was funny whenever we were going through the modules and getting into some of the characters names oh my gosh we were like blinging schlagging something <laughs> like there was a lot of passing of the book around like can you pronounce that i i, I you know no <laughs> and i would almost say I may like counteract that argument just a little bit. I, I wouldn't say it's quite Middle Ages, but like 
just barely dipping its toes into the Renaissance. Everybody's still covered in mud blood and shit, but yeah. there's stuff going on. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. they had black powder weapons, and they had, like, fruit, fruity feathers, and, you know, fan- there, were, there were fancy things. It wasn't all just guttural. Yeah, I might have my year wrong, but I always took it as England's interpretation of Germany from, like, the 8th century. I can see that. I agree with that. <laughs> um, do you want to talk about how likely you are to die? I know one thing that I did enjoy is weapons had a flat damage, but with that in mind, the you know, you can die like that. If I'm not mistaken, crits were something that were pretty interesting in this game. Um, Zach, because you were on the DM side of this, you might fill this in on how exactly crits worked. So basically... There's a if you roll a natural one, which is just that's the best thing ever, or it's any doubles, and then you basically look on the critical injury table if we're in combat, and then that's where the critical injury takes place. And there's a whole another table to roll on. It's actually one of my negatives of the book. I really wish that table was at the end of the book or in the screen pack. They like gave you another copy of it. Yeah, I do remember quite a few times that our gameplay had stopped because like. Oh, so and so crit. All right, let's get the table out. And that book, how many pages is that book, Zach? Like three hundred something? It's it's enormous. Give me a second. Um, but while he looks for that number, um, since we're talking about combat, um, it was very fast because um I know something we did we did more of a call of the style with the post rolls. Yeah. At three fifty. Three fifty. Okay, even more than I thought. It that's a lot of crunch. <laughs> now granted it's it's closer to having three books in one considering it has most of the rules for what a game master would need to run the game as well yeah but, which is not, n- nothing wrong with tons of pages it's just it's a lot <laughs> I feel the book could also instead of, in addition to having the tables at the back of the book in, in addition to inside the book the fact that there's not a root ribbon bookmark really hurts it yeah that, that may just be games workshop stuff at play at least we'll they were a- kind enough to put page numbers references on your uh, GM screen, right, Zach? On the screen and in the book itself, so I don't have to guess what section they're talking about. <laughs> Cough D&D. Um, shall we go on to making a character? Yep, making a character. So for me? Or wait, nope. yeah. Or I'll, I'll, I'll go ahead and get mine out of the way. For me... Making the character was probably mm, the highlight of this system for me because we have all these tables to roll on to generate professions, to be- generate, you know, your race, so on and so forth. Like for the races, probably about 90% of the time, or I'll say 70% of the time, you're going to be rolling a human. Or um, so there are seldom dwarves and elves within the human society because they're rare things. You know, holy crap, an elf should be rare. Um, I'm not saying that you can't just pick an elf to play, but the system does reward you for rolling random because, you know, you get extra starting experience for rolling random. So it's like, yes, I'm going to roll random on everything. And for me, it put, you know, it made me a human noble, which I. I don't ever want to play, you know, the hoity-toity, high-class, you know, face of the group. But it put me in something new to RP that I never would have picked myself, and I really enjoyed it. Um, what about you guys? I'll say the 
the first thing that happened was I got gir- gir- good old garden spit beer. Uh, <laughs> random, <laughs> random character, above average strength human, and started out in the cleric class. And I, I think it was what five hundred or six hundred XP behind you guys. And by the time the character was all done and rolled up, like I was, I was on par with everyone else that was there or close to it. Yep, yep. it was so, great. So Pat, one <laughs> correction: it's oh one to ninety is human. So you're oh, super so. likely to be a human. Wow. Okay. I, it is ninety percent. I thought it was. I, I gave it more than it had. Or one lowly dwarf. <laughs> and then there's the huge like career range because there's a whole career table to roll on. Yeah. You could be a rat catcher or a poop shoveler, or you could be a peasant. Um, you know, the world's your oyster. They literally had every, you could be a dock worker. I mean, literally everything. Yeah, poop shoveler sounds like a fun job. Poop shoveler. You know, they would probably have like strong, strong back as a, as a feet or something like that. <laughs> And then after that, you get to roll for your stats, and we, we, we alluded to it in our D&D episode, but the stat ranges are based on your race. So humans basically get average across the board. They get like a plus 20, but the elf might get a plus 30 in a couple spots and a plus 10 in a couple others. And I yeah, think like, they capped out at yeah. stuff, if I'm not mistaken. 70 or 80, somewhere around there. Sorry. Yeah, I just remember dwarves getting like more strength and kind of toughness. Elves, you know, as as you expect, faster, more agile, more dexterous. The typical tropes. Yep, and then you basically get some starting things that a species would have. So if you're an elf, you get this. A dwarf, you get that. Some free skills and talents. Uh, For humans, the famous talent is dooming everyone in Warhammer Fantasy in terms of the Reich in the Empire has a dooming on their dooming day. And you get to get reported what your death will be. Which the cool part about this, this kind of goes to show you the lethality of the system, is that if you die by the way which you were doomed, like I believe I was destined to die by a um, one-sided blade, Nate was destined to die by a um, by a woman, I believe. It and, was something like that, yeah. Yeah, and if you were to die by that way, your next character would start with half of the experience of your current character plus some. So, I mean, that kind of goes to show, like, hey, we're baking in plans for people to die, you know, so do be ready for that. Hey, we reward you if you did it in the, in the right way. <laughs> exactly. The system also has a retirement system, so if you meet your major goal of your character, like Retire Riches and Noble was at least one character's goal, uh, they would be able to retire that character and start a new character with half that character's XP, which is a cool bonus. Absolutely. I would take that any day. Um, but like I said, you know, whenever we started talking about the making a character, I think that was like the highlight of the system for me. If I were to take it to any other system, this would be the one thing I would take to any other system. Yeah, just at face value, it was, it was a really good introduction to come into the game with. And just immediately have that drop in as, oh, you're going to be this guy. Wait, who is this guy? Here he is. There you go. Have fun. <laughs> and in addition to that, you get to choose a career. You get a free talent. It's the equivalent of feet. And then your career tree allows you to either expand on that career. So say you're either an investigator or a duelist. So you can become 
a better duelist. I believe it was like, um, what's the guy that fights for the king in terms of for for judgment? Oh, um, I couldn't bring it up right now. It's basically like you were the 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 court duelist. Like you know, you'll fight for the law abiding side, the king's hand, or something like that. Yeah, trying to pull and it up right now. And you weren't stuck in these roles either. You can flip flop around between professions and whatnot. Yeah, it was du- uh, judicial champion. That's right. That's right. And I, I do think it's very interesting. We mentioned that weapons do the same damage, and they even generically have it as like generic hand weapon. But if you specialize, it matters. Like if you had a fencing foil, you got bonuses to crit. Yep. Which I think came up for one of the people in this room too, because I think your other weapon was a sword, wasn't it? He had a um a foil, I believe. And I was foil and pistol. I had a witch hunter in my brain as far as, as martial capabilities. But uh definitely not the role play on the table for sure. Right. Um, next, next we're gonna talk about the safety stats the game includes. Uh I know overall you guys only really focused on two of them, but there are four. I'm gonna read them all out to you. So there's resilience. You get to deny a mutation roll if your character might mutate. The forces of chaos are bad. Or you can choose the die result on any roll. So you could just be like, I rolled a one. And then that also gives you resolve, which can either give you immunity psychology. So you're not going to be like, you know, you're not going to hate elves if you're a dwarf. You can ignore all modifiers of a critical wound for a round. So if you're bleeding out, you can stop. Or you can remove one negative condition. If I recall, you guys like never use those. Well, for me, it wasn't anywhere on our character sheet. It's something you had to look up. Like I had to write it on the back of my character sheet what all those things could do, and had to reference it quite often. For me, the the what was it? Fortune, the one that we got back every day. Yeah, fate, fate and fortune were the next two I was going to cover. Yeah. Yeah. That was the num- numero uno used thing, and it was great. I liked it. And that was a good part of being a human is you got more of it than the elves and dwarves. So yeah, fate, that's the bigger one. And there basically, there are four total safety stats, but two of them are harder to get and are more important. Fate allows you to be knocked out instead of killed or, vo- or avoid all damage from one attack. And then that also gives you fortune, and the fortune lets you basically... Reroll any failed test or add a free skill level to a test after it's rolled. And if I'm not mistaken, I don't even think that I ever had stats for the other two. I think I only used Fate and Fortune the entire time we played. So um, every, I, everyone did have points in all of them, but I can promise you Fate and Fortune were the only ones anyone ever considered touching. Yep. I know some, uh, I believe Luke and um, one other, maybe even myself used one of those early ones, I, I, here I go, not even remembering the name of it, um, to mitigate some mutations or chaos corruption. Um, but yeah, that's how seldom they came up anyway. So. Yeah, I don't even think you guys had a corrupt had a mutation role. No, no, one, no one ever got enough corruption to do it. Yeah. yeah. But I liked Fortune, and it was good. I mean... I kind of like a luck system in any tabletop RPG versus if it's just like Call of Cthulhu, straight luck points, use it, you know, and Pulp went further for more uses with it. That was going to be my follow-up. How do you equate fortune to the luck in Call of Cthulhu? Hmm. 
Which would I want more? I want to say, in instances, I think I would rather have the fortune than luck in Call of Cthulhu, if we're just talking base Call of Cthulhu, because fortune, that's a full reroll. In Call of Cthulhu, you know, it's like, oh, I rolled a 75 and my skill's a 30. Like, there's no way I'm going to burn that much luck. Yeah, but on that extreme, Call of Cthulhu lets you push the roll anyway. Yeah, that's true. That's true. How about about you, Um, I think I'd rather have to re-roll than the luck. In Call of Cthulhu, I think the luck makes a lot more sense, strictly because of the setting that it takes place in and how how much darker it's supposed to be. It's like, even if you're lucky, sometimes things are not going to work out in your favor. But I think having the opportunity to just do a re-roll in Warhammer Fantasy lines up a little bit better with what's going on in it. I mean, I guess we could push it more often, Zach. But for me, you know, pushing pushing the roll in Call of Cthulhu, if you fail again, there's something real bad. And I don't know, it's that dark cloud hanging over me that it's like, oh, oh no, I'm not going to push it. Like, I'll just take whatever happens at the normal value. I happen to prefer luck. I like the fact that you can spend it. And I know this is something that a Warhammer Fantasy doesn't allow you to do. I like the fact that luck is also a skill. Yeah. Sure. But honestly, either one, I'm fine. As long as the tabletop RPG, like I said, has some sort of luck system. Awesome. Sweet. Because dice games, you know, they are dice games sometimes. The dice just aren't in your favor that night. Uh, Zach and I can both attest the dice curse is very much a thing. Hey, Zach, what flavor of nine did you did you roll? Oh, 93, 94, 95, 96. Man, this combat sure is going super well for the players. Well, that that was me in our last uh, Call of Cthulhu session, Zach. I think the last like five rolls were all 80+. plus. Now, I do think one thing that, that I love from Warhammer Fantasy is you can always offer the player a reroll at, at the cost of them taking corruption points. I think that's a very cool way to subtly introduce the like influence of chaos. Yeah, that is very flavorful on brand. Who's going to help you out? Well, Papa Nurgle will help you out, but uh, yeah. Hopefully you don't like, or don't super hate polio or smallpox or whatever. <laughs> or you could get Zeech and get, you know, a third arm that's growing out of your stomach. Handy dandy. I also do like the fact that you Game Master can spend corruption points to force the player to do something too. Like yeah. remove them and like, hey, you don't, you kind of let that bad, you let that guy go. I don't want to let, let that guy go, but chaos did. Chaos. <laughs> so you're saying for the GM, it gives you bargaining chips for later. Like, oh yeah, yeah, you you really need to help that one time. All right, well, time for it to come back at you. And I think that fits Warhammer Fantasy specifically, just the influence of chaos. One could make an argument for like you know 40k, but that's a little harder system to run just in terms of how how much wider it is. Yeah. And was that what you were meaning by our next topic of GM influence? I was. Okay, okay. Well, that segued quite nice. I want to talk about the starter set for a little bit. Uh, it's $30, unless it's gone up massively. I just looked online, it's $30. It comes with two D. It comes with a D100 set, a really nice one. You only get the two dice, so they're only giving you the two, but they're really, really nice, too. You get five pre-made characters. You get tokens you can pass out for advantage, which is a big part of the combat system. You get advantage points. And it gives you an entire city. Pat, I recall you playing part of the starter set. What what did you think of the city in terms of how fleshed out it was for Uber's Reich? Well, Uber's Reich, we we got okay, the artwork was, you know, 
nice. It was all uh, highly stylized. Um, we had the sections of Uber's Reich in different colors as far as like, that's the industrial quarter, that's the dock quarter. This is more of the Royals area. And then we had a key with this whole list of locations. And as far as like, if you're if you have a module in any tabletop RPG and it has a wider area, for love of God, please do include a map because that gives, you know, rather than just sitting at the table going, all right, what would you guys like to do? They have a map in front of them. They can go, oh, it might. We might need to go over down to the docks because that might be where such and such happens. You know, so it gives a little bit of. Um, control and more choice to the players which i really enjoy and uh i think they did a fantastic job with that and they do keep that up with their other cities like we ever encounter another city they were very well detailed like they are very specifically they will call out which races and like which guilds work here or there so it's not just bill johnson it's a named dude and probably more than one and uh even beyond that starter set i i forget which one god was it it was where R.C.'s Wolf Priest was from. Um, book, that's book three of Enemy Within. That's Middenheim. Middenheim. How you had all these array of characters. And on each character, it tells you on which day of the festival where they're at within the town and within the festival. And I thought, like, holy crap, that's detailed. You know? That, that shows a lot of effort put into it by the creators of Enemy Within. Well, that's a good segue, because that was going to be my next topic, that campaign in general. Now, Pat, you were there for part of the start, and RC, you came in basically in book three. Is that, yep. that correct? Yep, that's correct. Okay. Uh, the Enemy Within campaign is regularly rated as one of the best campaigns ever, right there with Mask of Narlathotep and the Great Pendragon campaign. Been around since about 81, as in 1981. And for Warhammer Fantasy 4th Edition, they reprinted it as a remaster. If you guys look in the chat window, you can see all the books in one of the images. I gotcha. Um, well, I, I guess I'd say my biggest thing with Enemy Within, the whole overarching, there is this deeper, darker thing going on within the Empire. Um, Zach, should we say, like, hey, there might be spoilers here? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Spo- okay. Spoilers are going to happen. Spoilers are going to happen if you plan to play this module from this point on. Um, the whole cult of purple and what was happening with Karl Franz, the emperor, and just right out the gate whenever they're talking about, oh yeah, mutants are okay. And for those of you that don't know, and Warhammer's you know grim dark universe, and the Emperor saying mutants are okay is like, whoa, something's really wrong here because for the most part they have like witch hunters and people that abhor like the people that have been marked by chaos. So you know, if you like cough funny, you're gonna get burned at the stake. Yeah, you might have the pox. <laughs> um, so. The one good thing about the campaign overall and their books in general is they have a, they have a lot of good rumors. And even if the rumors are fake or not affecting the plot, it really builds the universe. In terms of the overall plot, it's a Zinch has this cult, the purple the purple hand, and they're trying to like take over the empire through all these schemes. And it starts off with a, a case of mistaken identity. One of the characters finds a dead version of a doppelganger of themselves. 
And it's not like a racial doppelganger. They just happen to look like that. And then it becomes, oh, that guy used to be a member of the cult. We think he's a member of the cult. Let's go after him. And man, did I make a mistake picking the player I picked. But they they did do a good job of making a hook for that character because it's like, hey, this guy, you have this title to these lands and all these riches. So, and you look exactly like this and everybody thinks you're this guy. So why not go for all that money? But, you know, that, that was the epic bait and we all went along with it, of course, because why not? And that is the cool part of it. It's just the player I picked to be the doppelganger never really engaged with that role whatsoever. Yeah. Well, whatever sight. Hindsight. <laughs> oh, yeah. And the problem is, like, this this campaign is, like, five books. So it came back and bit me in the, bit me in the butt every well, time. Pet peeves, Zach. Pet peeves. <laughs> um... And the whole political, because this is, I want to say whenever we were playing Warhammer Fantasy, it is not nearly as combat heavy as I would say D&D wants you to be, which is fine. It, it, there's it is much closer to Call of Cthulhu. It's an investigation. There's a whole lot of investigation, a whole lot of intrigue, a whole lot of mystery. You do have to do groundwork. And I'll back you up on saying, Zach, that that whole rumors everywhere we go, there was rumors this, rumors that did make it feel more alive. If I'm not mistaken, we ended up following several rumors for a while that just went absolutely nowhere. <laughs> yeah. But it was fun most of the time. Mm-hmm. Oh, and we gambling, that was fun. Like all those um, foot or not blitzball games. Oh, no, no, snotling ball. Yeah. So we were gambling fiends. Yep, and the campaign's pretty good. You you go through like almost the shadows of her inmuth, little like, hey, this what's going on in this creepy town with the fair. There's a point where you get a boat and you get to go down this boat ride and basically boat everywhere and be river merchants. And the D- then the DM gets to sink your boat and make you real sad. My boat. And then um, and then the best part I think is is book three. It is the heart. It is definitely the hardest to run. But the big intrigue in the town of Middenheim, the massive cast of characters you have to interact with, the whole festival, like it was a nightmare to run as a DM, but I think it was fun to run and it was real interesting. Yeah, I, I have to give you kudos on running that, Zach, because he showed me all the different characters that he has to follow along, see where they're at, depending on what events we go to, and there's like 20 of them. Some of them don't have any leads at all. Some of them reoccurring. Some like Siegfried just reoccurred for fun. Um, just love that guy. <laughs> um, but it, if in your imagination, you want to like see a whiteboard with a bunch of pins in it with lines connecting the different clues. That's basically what Zach had to manage running that. So kudos to him for doing that. It was it was uh it was interesting to behold. I hadn't seen I hadn't seen that much work have to go in like plot mystery and intrigue DMing game that I've ever seen. It was it was a lot. I'm gonna have to call out uh Cubicle Seven, the publishers. If you get the physical copy of the book, unless it has changed recently, it does not include the handouts of the schedules of all the characters, and you only get that in the PDF. I had to write them four or five emails to get that. PDF of just that section sent to me. 
because it oh. has to be there. Oh, wow. I didn't know you had to go into all that. No, I had to email them four or five times. You, you need those schedules. Otherwise, you're yeah. going back. You're, you're going through like 40 pages. Also, I believe the character cards weren't included either, were they? That's what I'm referring to. The cards that have the schedules on the back, you have to go to the individual pages otherwise. Yep. And, and that would have been because so they weren't they weren't printed out for you, Zach. You had to go print them out yourself and make your little card standees for your screen. I did. I had Nate do that, but like it's supposed to be in the book. I could have yeah. settled it if they were in the very end of the book, and they're not. Yeah. They are they are literally referred to by page number in the text, and they are not in there. Well, uh, that was a nice bit of effort on y'all's part then, because uh, where you just hang it up on the screen like, this is who's here at this event, and so we know who we can talk to, so on and so forth. What else gives you, like, arts? Like, oh, that's what that guy looks like. Yeah, like uh, Luigi. He he was fun. <laughs> Luigi Pavarotti. <laughs> Luigi Pavarotti. He, what a scoundrel, though. Jesus. Well... At least he wasn't sleeping with the queen or anything, but he was definitely getting around. <laughs> not that we know. <laughs> and not to be super mean, I do like Cubicle 7. I think they did a good job with Warhammer Fantasy 4th Edition overall and the Enemy Within campaign. But if you're going to do a remaster, do fix some things that people have had problems with for the last 20 years. There are plenty of handouts and maps that have errors that they never fixed. And they've been wrong for 20 years. All right, Zach, shall we get to Ian's pressing questions? Yep. RC, do you want to read Ian's questions? Sure. Straight into that. Question one. Is running Warhammer Fantasy more or less challenging than D&D? They seem like similar campaign settings. What are the challenges for running Warhammer Fantasy? I do think it is more difficult to run compared to D&D. The characters have different skill sets. Usually you're running more of an investigation. You do not want to get into large combats in this game. They will kill you. And I believe that came up several times while we were playing. Uh, and also that may lead into how final is PC death? And we sort of went over that previously. But just as a refresher. When you're you dead, die, you die. You die. <laughs> I like. Um, and then question three. Have you noticed anything that the PCs can abuse or use to become overpowered? And if so, how would you address that? We someone mentioned that earlier at the start of the episode, but if you get a if you get a character or a couple characters that only focus on combat and combats come up, they can be almost unstoppable in combat. The trade off of that is you can just do social encounters or throw magic or bigger monsters at them. Yep. We had we had a really tough dwarf. You're like, aha, I can stop anything, and then he ran into a rat ogre. Yeah. Or that dwarf. Say it's a dwarf slayer that can just murder you know trolls at ease or what have you. And it's like, okay, well, that that troll uh, that troll slayer dwarf, he's at um he's at a ball now, and he has to schmooze with all these royals to find out stuff. He's not so good at it. He might not even get invited. I meant to mention it earlier and didn't. Uh, I really do like the class system in the game, like the gold rating, the silver rating, and the copper rating. I think it's a big thing that D and D doesn't have and should have because class is a big deal. Oh. One thing I was thinking with that class rating, Zach, is that they could um, expand upon it because there was many situations like, oh, I'm the noble of the group. I'm gold, whatever. And, you know, because I missed some sessions or somebody was hoarding all the gold, they're like, oh, yeah, well, I'm copper ranking, but I got more gold than you. And I was thinking that maybe 
if Warhammer Fantasy were to pull from like Call of Cthulhu, where it's like, oh, this is your assets, this is your cash spending a day, so on and so forth, I was like, oh man, that would be a great adoption into uh, Warhammer Fantasy with the gold, with the like society ranking ratings. Yeah, that works, and that would be pretty good. But I just like that they they thought to include it. Yeah, because if you're going to be um, a poop shoveler or a rat catcher, you're going to be copper rated. And you don't exactly have the social clout to get along with anybody in power. A couple other negatives, and they're not really big ones. The money system is based on the English pound system. And if you don't know how those currency exchange rates work, you're into a lot of math. What was it? It's a, it's a 24 base starting and then something else crazy happens. One gold crown is equal to 20 silver shillings and 20 silver shillings are 240 brass pennies. A little bit of math. Um, let's see. I believe has everyone spoke their piece on Warhammer Fantasy. I think we've hit on everything we've wanted to hit on. Yeah, it was a little light on this one, but that's only because of my experience level with it. Well, I figured it'd be a nice short episode since we're missing Ian, and then I think the Pet Peeves episode might be a two-parter. Bum, bum, bum. And I guess some stuff we didn't touch on too much is like how. Injury systems was a big thing for a lot of players. You know, players getting their out, eyes gouged out or their legs cut off. We didn't come. We didn't do that too much in our playthrough. But you know, everybody's every group's playthrough is going to be different. Well, it's also the fact that even if you get like you know a strained arm, like you have that injury for a while. Yeah, it doesn't just magically go away. If I'm not mistaken, you had to do some minor reworks to how combat works just to edge out some of the crunchiness so combat didn't take forever. That's more of an appeasement to me. I prefer Call of Cthulhu's opposed role combat system, how fast it is. Warhammer Fantasy is pretty close, but the fact that if you're defending and the opponent attacks and fails, nothing happens. It's just like, oh, they, they lose their action. Yeah, Zach slid that by on us, too, because I didn't even know. I thought we were playing it properly until I uh, was looking at the duelist and I was looking at Riposte. And it's like, yeah, you can damage them back on your defense rolls. And I'm like, wait a second, what? Aren't we already doing that? And even then, there were like sections of the campaign where like, I'm not going through this whole cave of goblins. I'm not. It's going to be all night. But I would uh, definitely recommend anybody to try it out if you like a more grim dark kind of setting with um i'd say a little bit less combat than dnd granted i would probably recommend any system from uh <laughs> instead of anything watsy produces right now but you know yeah i would definitely call it like rainy darker dnd but give it a shot there's a lot of cool rp yeah yep. yeah well i want to mm-hmm. thank everyone for joining us and join us for our next episode when we cover game master and player pet peeves